time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. So I want to read out of Acts chapter 5 because I just love this verse. We'd been so focused on going house to house when we were down in Trinidad. That was our strategy and that was what we were doing. And sometimes when you're doing something in your faith and then you read about it in the Word of God, it's oftentimes something you normally wouldn't, wouldn't catch. But I was reading through Acts and I got to Acts chapter 5 and listen to this in verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for for the name. I've preached that many times. I mean, how many times have I talked about our privilege to suffer for the gospel, to be counted worthy for suffering, but then check out verse 42, day after day in the temple courts, and this is what stuck out to me, and from house to house, they never stopped. And I read that and I went, whoa. That's what we're doing with Trinidad and Tobago. Day after day in the temple courts, that means in the church, basically, and from house to house, going door to door, door to door, house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And so this is the early church model where they're saying, hey, not only did we suffer, But now, coming out of it, what are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to spend our time? We're going to go house to house, telling people about Jesus, taking the good news of the gospel. Now, I know many of you, you hear this, and in our culture, we think door-to-door, and we think door-to-door salesmen, oh, no thank you, right? In America, we have a cultural sensitivity where house to house feels bad, but in most of the world... In most of the world, that cultural dynamic doesn't exist. And in, 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 the, in the culture in the Caribbean where we were, people find it extremely kind that you would come and knock on their door. Like they're amazed, they're, they're thankful, they're grateful, they're interested. Unless they have big dogs, then it can be scary. Everybody remembers that. All right, but for the most part, when you come to their house, they're... They're, they're, they're thankful that you came. They, they, they'll invite you in. They'll, we, I mean, we went into multiple houses where we would go and we would sit there and they just wanted to talk. They wanted to tell, hear about where we were from and what we believed. And, and so it was, it was so different than here. When we picture going house to house here, we imagine people, you know, cracking the door open, being a little ticked off. What do you want? Go away. What? You know, that kind of thing. What are you trying to sell me? You know, that kind of deal. No, I don't want your Girl Scout cookies. You know, slam the door type kind of mean kind of thing. Because that's kind of the way that it is in America. But in the Caribbean where we're, where we're at, there's an openness. There's a, I'm, I'm interested. Why are you here? Why, what, what do you have to tell me? And so we find, even in Acts chapter 5, we find the apostles going house to house This idea, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, telling that Jesus is the Messiah or the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we have an opportunity to do this every day, first of all. We have an opportunity to proclaim this for that reality to be true of us where we take the gospel into our world. But I believe there's something special, something unique that takes place when we do what Jesus said in Matthew 28 when he said to go into all nations, Go into all of the world and make disciples. 
There's, there, each one of you guys, you grow up in a, a bit of a comfortable environment. And when you have to step out of that environment to go take the gospel, there's something unique that happens when you step onto foreign soil. In fact, I believe as a youth pastor, I believe that every single high school student should go overseas before graduating from high school. Because when you grow up in America where you've got, you know, pizza for dinner all the time, you've got, you know, Super Nintendo 64, DS, Wii, whatever, you've got, uh, you know, all kinds of media, you've got, you've got so much at your fingertips. The temptation in a culture that says it's all about you is to start to believe that it's all about you. But when you go overseas and you see the lack of the gospel, you see poverty, you see brokenness, you see other uh, cultures where they believe in other religions and other gods and there's such brokenness, it forces you to wrestle with, who am I? What do I believe? Who is Jesus really? And so I want to encourage every single one of you. It could be with DSM. It could be with another uh, church. It could be another trip that Global Ministries does out of New Life. Not just this trip, but I want to encourage you to, before you graduate from high school, get your feet on foreign soil. Go, go, now I'm not talking about like, you know, oh, all right, great. Let's, you know, let's go to London and, you know, see Big Ben. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about tourism. I'm talking about you going somewhere where they don't know Jesus, where they desperately need Jesus, where most people are broken, poverty. Get your, put yourself in that environment so that you see the way that most of the world lives. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Say active. This is, this is Paul's prayer. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Paul's going, this is my prayer for you. And if we were to take this and put this on our lives, we would be challenged in how much do we actually share our faith. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So I want to encourage you to be active in sharing your faith, just like Paul says here. I want to live this way. And... This, Acts chapter 5, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go house to house. So tonight, I want to just give you seven reasons why you should put your feet on foreign soil short term before you graduate from high school. It could be this trip, could be another trip. But I want to put that as a, as a thought in your mind, maybe even a fire in your belly. Number one is this, you will see God's global work. You'll see what God's doing around the world. Christianity is a lot bigger than just what takes place on Voyager and Interquest, right? Christianity is a whole lot bigger, not only just what happens at this church, it's bigger than this city, it's bigger than our state, it's bigger than our nation, it's around the world. God's working around the world. And so we talked at retreat about how David stood before Goliath and he said, I want the whole, I want the whole world to know that there is a God in Israel. The whole world, they had this global vision. One of the things that happens when you step and put your feet overseas is you start to see just a little bit, open, it opens up your eyes to God's global vision, to the fact that God's doing something all over the world. 
You see other churches. You see, you see other people worshiping in other languages. That's one of the fun, most fun things is when there's a song that you know really well and you think you know it. It's like you've got it so memorized and you've, you've sung it for years. And then you go to another country and they're singing that song with exuberance in a different language. And you're like, wow, I don't know it in this language. You know, and they're like, that's I am free in some other language, right? You know, whatever. And you're just like, wow, right? And they're singing the same worship songs that you sing, but in another language. And you go, wow. Because we read about in Revelation chapter seven, that it says that one day around the throne, there'll be a great multitude of which no one can count from every tongue, every tribe, every nation doing what? Worshiping. And you know what's fun is when you step over, out overseas and you start to see in some other cultures and some other languages, people worshiping God, you get just a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. You get just a little glimpse of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping Jesus. It's powerful. All right, so number one, you will see God's global work. Number two, you'll be given an opportunity to overcome fear. I, I've told you guys this story many times, but I interviewed 100 teenagers one time. They were the radicals. They were the, the leaders. 100 kids from here. I just said, okay, let's talk to me straight. I gave them all a piece of paper. And I said, you guys are so on fire for God. You guys love Jesus so much. What's the number one thing that keeps you? What's the number one thing that hurts you? What's the number one thing that hinders you? And I just, it was blank. It, they could say anything. They could write down anything. I didn't, I didn't fill in the blank for them. For all I know, they could write, um, they could just put the word, the devil. They could just write, uh, uh, my broken family. They could put, uh, there's so, I mean, they could write anything. It was open slate. And 60% of them wrote, fear. Fear of what friend, friends will think of me. Fear of rejection, but it was fear. Fear enslaves us so often. One of the great opportunities that you get, get out of the bubble, this bubble actually, get out of what's comfortable. You step out and you have to walk in faith. Because when you go up to a door, of someone who's a Muslim, and you're knocking on the door, and they open it up, and you start talking about Jesus and you're 16, braces, you know, boyfriend just broke up with you, Look, going into your junior year, thinking mostly about JV basketball, and you find yourself in a foreign country talking to someone who's Muslim and you're telling them about Jesus, there's the potential for massive fear. But when you see God work through you, and you have the Holy Spirit alive inside of you, and you come in and you see people that were Muslims, that were Hindus, come to Jesus, you know what starts to happen? Your fear starts to turn to faith. And people that are spineless become powerful. People that were once weak, filled with fear, young people become strong. It's one of my favorite things to see is when we fly over there, you've got 
feels like you've got teenage, American teenagers flying over there, you know, talking about American teenager things. Then you get over there and you spend a few days like warriors going house to house. You come back and the conversations aren't about who likes who, who's got a crush on who. The conversations are, Pastor John, can you tell me how in the Hindu faith what this word means because I went to this one house today and they believed this and I need to know what that is so that I can tell the next house about Jesus. And instead of living with eyes focused on me, what slowly starts to happen is eyes starts to go on a bigger battle. Something more important than just living for my temporal pleasures. I'm telling you, it's powerful. I love teenagers. I mean, I've been, this is, what I've been doing, hanging out with teenagers since I was a teenager. You know, like I've never grown up physically, emotionally. <laughs> like, but I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. There's something that's so delightful, that's so powerful when American teenagers turn into global Christians. When you when you're over there and you see the need and your heart breaks for people that need Jesus and Jesus is empowering you and Jesus is giving you strength. And, and it, it's just the way, it's kind of like in James 4, 8 where it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. When you're in moments like that, you can't help but draw near to God. Like, I, I know I told the story. I, I spend a lot of my time going door to door with Ben. So uh, most of my stories are about Ben and which this is the way it went because Ben and I, you know, went door to door together. So much. But and Ben's not here tonight. He's in Vegas. He's still saved. Um, he's just in, in Vegas with DLA. Actually, DLA is still saved. Forget it. But anyway, Ben's with Pastor Dan in Vegas tonight. But it's for a Christian event. Okay. Well, it's not really a Christian event, but they're... Tr- Never mind. All right. So... Everybody in that whole scenario is still saved. All right, so. But I watched Ben. Ben, who had only got, been saved for about six months when we were down there going door to door together. And I watched him. You know, he's cool. He's got the flat bill hat. He's got the big, what do you call the earrings that you can see through? He's got the gauges, you know. That wouldn't even fit in my ears because I don't even have earlobes. But he's got the, the gauges and the deal and the. In the, you know, the, that, yeah, he's got the swag. Uh, He's wearing his sister's jeans. He just had that whole thing, (laughs) that whole thing going. And, uh, and I watched him like at the beginning be so timid, you know, and kind of like hiding behind me, which is awkward because he's like six, three, you know, and so, and, 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 and then by the end to be so confident that literally when we started, don't tell him that I told you this, and, and I, I, we won't tell him about this. He won't listen to the podcast, hopefully. But, but when we started, you know, he's kind of like hiding behind me. By the end, he'd go take one side of the street, and I'd go to the other. He was just, just confident. You know, it, didn't, it, didn't, he didn't, it wasn't even like we were doing it together. He wanted to go with, you know, go do it by himself and go talk to people by himself. And I've told you guys the story multiple times about the guy that on the last day that he led to Christ, on our very last day, that... Uh, had had a vision. This man had had a vision. Someone had appeared to him. He was, had hair that was white and said, you need to serve me. 
This man said to Ben, if you can tell me who the man in the dream was, then I'll listen. And Ben began to tell, quote scriptures about how G, who Jesus is and Jesus is the Messiah, the very thing that we read about here in Acts chapter five. And the guy gets saved and Ben, who a year before was not following Jesus, and when we got there, when we started the trip, was pretty timid, is looking by himself with one local uh, person from another church with him. He's looking right there at him and he's proclaiming the gospel. Teenager, 18, winning someone to Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing how when you're in that place like Ben, you, you, you don't come in, you don't walk up to the door of a, let's, it, he, the guy was a Hindu, so he, you don't walk up to the door of a Hindu guy's house who's in his 50s and been a Hindu for most of his life and walk up and think that you're so cool. I promise you the 55-year-old guy, he doesn't even understand gauges, he lives in a little tiny house on an island in the Caribbean. He doesn't look at Ben and be like, flat bills, gauges, I can see through your ears. Dude, you're so cool, you know? Cool goes away. Cool doesn't exist in that moment. The guy that's 55 is not cool. The guy who's 18 years old and from America and looks like, He's from who knows what culture. He looks like a clown to this guy. <laughs> Poor Ben. On that he, just, he just, cool dissipates, cool goes away. And you know what's needed in that moment? When cool doesn't exist, courage is what's needed. What's needed is a man that's filled 18 years old with courage that knows who Jesus is and says, let me tell you about Jesus, the Messiah the son of the living God, the one who changed my life. One of the, one of, there are some of you that when I say that, something inside of you resonates because you go, I would love to go to a place where cool doesn't exist because you live in the rat race of chasing cool in America. You know, what tank top, you know, what house, how, how high are my socks now? Are they short now? Are they long now? Are they white? Are they black? They, it used to be short white. Now it's kind of high black. It's weird. It changes. Chasing cool's hard. You're miserable. And in that moment, and when you go down there, I'm telling you, cool goes away and you have an opportunity to reach people. And what matters isn't if you're cool. It matters if you have courage. And that's one of the marks of every believer. Courage. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they knew that they were unschooled, ordinary men and that they had been with Jesus. That's who DSM is. We're gonna be people that have been with Jesus, courageously go. Third is this. You will use spiritual gifts that you did not know you had. <laughs> Meaning, in this context, you've got a certain a certain. Uh, uh, kind of gift that you normally use, certain way that you normally act. But when you're there and you're desperate, I mean, truly, you're going, you're depending on God. Oh God, 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 oh God. Help, 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 help. Your prayer life, that's number four. Your prayer life goes up. Help me, Jesus. Not really, but, but that's the idea. You, you, you're suddenly needing God. You'll start to realize you have spiritual gifts that you didn't know that you had because there's a need. Spiritual gifts aren't given 
to you. Have you ever noticed, one of the things I love, I was watching the, uh, I went to uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with my son Dawson and uh, my two daughters and Justice, my son. Uh, we went to go see Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, last Friday. And uh, so we're watching this. And one of the things I noticed in the movie or in the, the play was that when they're given gifts, so the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is all symbolism, right? It's all symbolism. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes it. And there's a moment where they're given gifts, right? And so the, Peter's given a sword and Susie and Nancy and all kinds of people there. Uh, I can't remember all their names, but they, uh, what is it? Susan? Susie? Susan, Lucy, Thomas, and Edmund. and I don't know. But anyway, they're all given gifts, right? They're all given, they're all given these gifts. And here's what I noticed about these gifts. All of the gifts were warfare. All of the gifts, they were, they were swords and they were, uh, Susan was given a dagger and they were, they were given, right? <laughs> Lucy, Lucy, Susie, whatever. This isn't even a planned illustration. I'm making it up as I go. Lucy's given a dagger. Peter's given a sword. They're given these, they're given these gifts and all of these gifts have to do with warfare, right? No one gets a toy train set right? No one gets an iPad, right? What do they get? They get gifts that have to do with the battle. Make sense? All of them are for battle. Let me tell you this. If you're not in a battle, you won't use the gifts God's given you. But when suddenly find yourself in a battle, you're like, holy smokes, check out this oil thing that Lucy drank or whatever, like the I got a sword and I got this dagger, right? You understand what I'm saying? They're given gifts and all the gifts have to do with battle. And until you're in the battle, you don't need the gifts. But when you're in the battle, suddenly you need the sword, you need the dagger, you need the bow and arrow, you need the weapons. Does that make sense? Your weapons, the spiritual gifts that God has given you are for battle. Many of you have gifts you don't even know about because until you're in the battle, you're not using them. But when you find yourself in the battle, you go, wait a minute, I got the gift of encouragement because we're going door to door and I'm telling everybody, all right, way to go. That was awesome, so great. And you're going, wow, I'm an encourager. I didn't know I was an encourager. I didn't know I had a gift that I could encourage other people to take the gospel home to home because I've never gone home to home. I've never even talked to a Hindu before, but now I find myself, wow. And then someone else is like, I'm getting this quickly. I'm understanding. You're like, you've got the gift of wisdom. And they're going, I didn't know I had the gift of wisdom. Like you do. And wow, that's pretty cool. And then someone else is speaking prophetically. hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking to someone and they're, they're just spitting out exactly what God is wanting them to say. And you're like, I would have never known those things. And, and they're like, yeah, that's because I just discovered that I got a prophetic gift. I didn't know that I had a prophetic gift. Another person is like, oh, I'm in a situation and I don't know what to say. This person's speaking a different language. And then they're like, my God, I got to get And you're like, you know this language. It's like, no, I don't. And you're like, you did back there. And you're like, oh, gift of tongues. Rock on, Larry boy. And you're finding out, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's using me in the battle and you don't know the gifts that you've got until you're in the battle. Does that make sense? Some of you guys have gifts that are dormant. They're stagnant. They're not being used. But when suddenly you are taking the good news of the gospel, the Holy Spirit 
using you to take the gospel to the world, you know what starts to happen? The Holy Spirit starts to use you as a conduit to take the gospel to the world and you start to realize, wow, I got gifts. I got stuff I didn't even know I had. God wants to use you to reach the world. No, couldn't be. I'm too whatever. No, he does. You, whatever your name is, wherever you're from. Number four, you'll connect with friends. And I don't say that in kind of a cheesy, kind of goofy, like, oh, you'll make some friends. Yeah, just like going to the school dance. This is different. There's something that's powerful when you go overseas on a mission with other people and you find yourself in a, in, in a, in a spiritual situation where you're taking the gospel to other people, where you, you, you become comrades, you know? There's something about getting on airplanes, going overseas, foreign soil, being in, I mean, eating different weird food, being in a place where you need God or else we're in trouble. Someone yelling at you in a different language and you're just like, oh my, I need help. You have that memory, build camaraderie. Listen, I love the quote that says, my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. When you go overseas and you take the gospel to other people, you know what happens? You start to spur each other on my, and, and, and they bring out the best in you. My, my, I'm telling you, I have created such solid friendships by going overseas. In fact, half of the jokes that I have with John came from our one mission trip that we had together. When we went to Trinidad last year, to this day, it's, it hasn't been even a, a year yet, but out of, we've known each other for 10 years, but 80% of our jokes come from that one trip because that's, it's a moment where we were leading a team together to reach Trinidad and, and, and it unites us. Let me tell you, when you go home to home, when you go with a group of people, it's not like going on vacation. You'll develop great friendships. Number five, I want to just say this. It's really a fun thing to connect with other Christians in other parts of the world. So when you contextualize your situation here, you think Christianity and you think, I go to Rampart, I, I try to be kind to people for Jesus' sake, then I go to a big Hershey Kiss building up at New Life on Wednesday nights, and I hear Corey sing songs and flip his hair out of his face. John gets up and tells me to be quiet. And then David comes up and screams from his iPad. That's what Christianity looks like, right? Okay. <laughs> Except for when you go there and you see other people that love Jesus like you love Jesus. And their whole circumstance is so different. And yet they sing the same worship songs. They read from the same scriptures. They love the same Jesus that you love you get a whole different perspective on what it means to be a Christian. You see Jesus is bigger. You see Jesus doing something bigger than the little piece of the pie that you can see. And one of the things that I love that when I was going on mission trips when I was in high school that's different now than was then, when I would go, we'd become friends with people and then we'd be gone never to see them again. But you know what's happened this year? You know we have DSM and DLA students that, have, that stayed in touch with the people in Trinidad? And they're still encouraging people in the local churches through what? Through Twitter and Facebook. And I think it's powerful. I think it's so dynamic for you to go and to go partner with another local church in another nation. Develop some friendships, not just with Americans on the trip, but with people over there. And then you encourage them. You, you continue to bless them and they grow up in their world and you continue to stay connected. All right. 
You'll develop new stories of God's faithfulness. New stories. I don't know if you remember, but on retreat, the very last session on Sunday morning, I told the story about David and how David cut off Goliath's head and then he carried around the Goliath head. Do you remember that story? And I talked about how David went back to the king and he said he was still holding Goliath's head. And the whole idea was he had beaten the enemy and he had said, I want the whole world to know there is a God in Israel. And that holding that Goliath head was, it was a story. Look what God has done. And David held those stories dear to his heart. You remember that? Because he even said that to Saul. The God who saved me from the lion and the bear, he's got stories. And those stories give him confidence to go take on Goliath. When you got stories, you're 16 years old, and you win someone to to Jesus, or you see somebody healed, like this last time in Trinidad, we saw Stacy get healed. And when Stacy got healed, she was a girl on the trip, When she got healed, do you know we came back and people had so much more confidence to pray for healing because they saw Stacy get healed on our trip? Stacy's parents now attend our church. I saw Stacy's parents on Sunday morning. You know what happened? God did a miracle. People started to get some stories. When you get stories, you get courageous. Peter, James, John, Philip, Thomas, they had stories. Do you remember the time that he healed the blind man? No. Yeah, that was good. But what about Lazarus raising the dead? Oh, bro, you got me. You got me. Yeah, that Lazarus thing, that was, that was sick. I mean, dead. I mean, all, I mean, life. I mean, rock on. That was sweet. Do you remember when he fed the 5,000? Oh, yeah, man, that was awesome. What about when he healed the leper? Dude, I forgot about the leper. Yeah. Man, I saw that with my own eyes. Shut up, guys. Do you remember when he walked on water? Peter's like, don't even talk about that. Your boy walked on water. You know what I'm saying? You know what? I guarantee you when those guys are out taking the gospel to the known world, there's something dynamic to the fact that I got stories. And when people come look back at them and say, how dare you this and that about Jesus? They've got stories. And a man with a story is not at the mercy of a man with a mere argument. A man with a story, a man with an experience, is like, you can't stop me. If you get stories of God's activity, we're getting them here. We're getting lots of them, but I'm telling you, it's just fun when you step overseas and you see, you just get, it's just something about it. You start to see God do stuff. You start to see God do stories. Last one is this. You will discover your destiny when you rescue the destiny of others. We, have, we talk about that a lot. We're going to talk about that a lot more, but you will discover your own destiny when you rescue the destiny of others. God made you to live for something bigger than yourself. The enemy says, don't live for something bigger than yourself. Live for yourself. You be Lord. You be God. You live for yourself. Jesus says, live for me and for others. The enemy says, live for self. Jesus says, live for me and for others. Enemy says, live for self. 
We live in a culture that says, live for self. When you get out there and you start, you see the broken and you start giving of yourself, and instead of spending spring break at Padre Island with your buddies and spending your money on that, you spend your money to go to take the gospel and you live for the sake of others. Not only does Jesus bless it, but you start to discover what you were really made for. And you find more joy and more delight in feeding other people or taking the gospel to other people than just going to live for another hamburger, another pizza on the beach. Just another make me feel good, another movie, another whatever. So here's the deal. We're gonna go. And I wanna, pr- I wanna ask that many of you go with us. I don't care if you go on this trip, if you go on another trip, but before you finish your senior year, or maybe it's your senior year gift, you know? Everybody's asking for, you know, a Nintendo Wii, and you're saying, no, I wanna preach the gospel in another nation. Or someone else is asking for a car, and you go, no, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna go to Africa. Great. But I wanna encourage you to step foot overseas. In just a minute, I'm gonna pray for you, but before I do, I wanna tell you tonight, we've got on your, on your seats, we've got the information, the basic information for our trip to Trinidad. In the very back, in the lobby, We've got packets you can pick up. On there, John's broken down the prices, uh, the deadlines. We need everybody in by December 12th. December 12th, we're gonna have our team in place. All right? I wanna encourage you to take this year, go with us, sign up, then ask your parents. They say, what do you want for Christmas? You say, this year I don't want a train, eggnog, and a new Nintendo game. This year what I want is I want hard, cold, cash to go to Trinidad to take the gospel. And then you do it for your birthday and you save. We all sacrifice. I'm going. John's going. We're excited. We want to go with you. And we just love it. I'm telling you, we got stories. I was telling you some of the stories. I want more stories and I want better stories. I want more stories. Why? Not for the sake of stories, but for the sake of his name. For the sake of us spreading the gospel here in our city, in our nation, and around the world. I hope you come to Tobago with us. We're gonna open it up. We're gonna go to one island and just take the gospel to every single house. And it's not really every single house. It's like houses and like, like metal sheds. Good word. It's like sheds. We're going every shed for Christ, all right? Every tent for Christ. Every open fire with a mean dog and a sleeping bag for Christ. All right, we're gonna take, we're gonna take it. So I just want you to stand your feet and I wanna pray with you. Thanks for coming tonight. You should place your hand on your heart. Jesus, we just open up our hearts to you tonight. God, we deeply desire to be your hands and your feet. We wanna see you work, God. God, we want to be the real deal. We want to be real Christians. We want to be people that do what you told us to do. We want to read the red letters that say go into all the world. And we want to actually go into all the world. We don't want to try to minimize it and just kind of make it cute and write it off. We want to do it. So we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to do what you've called your followers to do. I pray for my friends tonight, those that are considering significant sacrifice selling stuff on eBay, working an extra job. I don't know all the sacrifice it'll take 
to go. But I pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen them and help them. We ask, Lord God, that you would be at work. And Lord, we ahead of time, we lift up every single house that we're going to knock on their door. Or every shed that we're going to knock on their tin roof. We ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would go ahead of us. Woo them, fill them. We pray them hungry and we pray them thirsty for God. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be at work even before we go. And Lord God, that when we go, Lord God, that we would see a harvest. That we would labor as laborers in the harvest field. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. And DSM said, amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.